Shivani, we've spoken about this before. No one wants to hear you sing the Pridecast intro. But are you sure, though? Virgin Radio Pridecast. Pretty sure, yeah. This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast with Alex Milsom and Shivani Dave. Hello and welcome back to the Virgin Radio Pridecast with me, Shivani Dave. And with me, Alex Milsom. This is the show where we take a look back through all of the archives of Virgin Radio Pride, our fabulous three-month-long pop-up radio station, and attempt to continue the conversations which we started over the summer. And the conversation we're attempting to continue for the next couple of weeks, in case you couldn't tell by Shivani's relentless attempts to add their singing talents to the podcast, is music. With the Brit Awards coming up very soon, we're going to be exploring the relationship that the LGBTQ community has with music. And with so many incredible musicians, we've got a lot to talk about. But first, how was your week? My week's all right. I'm getting my bedroom redecorated, so sleeping in the living room. Oh, um, you've gone which... through all of the refurbishments. We've got the new new home office set up to, like uh, a couple of weeks ago. New bedroom. I don't intend to be invited to your bedroom, though. I mean, you weren't going to get invited, Alex. (laughs) And something else super exciting that happened this week is the fact that we both have brand new shows on different Virgin Radio stations. Isn't that rather exciting? It sure is. You'll be uh, grooving out on Virgin Radio Groove. What kind of tracks are you going to be playing? I mean, I could say music to make you move, but that would be the the sort of uh, corporate line. But it also works. Music that, you know, you quite enjoy, gets you up. Gets you moving with your day. Um, obviously, weekend breakfast, Saturdays and Sundays from 6 until 10. So there's four hours of me. It's like an extended Pridecast where I won't reveal as much as I normally do on this episode. And what about you, Shivani? And I'm going to be chilling out on Virgin Radio Chilled with music to kick back to. Is that what you're going to be doing? I'll be kicking, kicking back. back to it. I'll be kicking yeah. back. Chilling out. You know, Saturdays and Sundays, 12 till 4. Listen to Alex, go for a two-hour run, come back, chill out with me. It'll be great. And even more exciting is the fact that so many of the artists that we're going to be playing on our respective radio stations, yours a bit more chilled than mine, but so many of them are LGBTQ plus icons who have created and will continue to create incredible music. But as with many other sectors of society, the music industry isn't always a hospitable place for LGBTQ plus people. Have a listen to the legendary skin from Skunk Anansi, who spoke to Emma Goswell about her experience of being a black, gay, female musician. Do you think your sexuality had any part to play in the fact that you wanted to be, you know, so out there and so different and doing a a genre of music that no one else in your culture was necessarily doing? Um... You felt comfortable being the outsider because you felt I mean, an outsider anyway because of your sexuality. Yeah, I think sexuality made it was a massive... I think much more in hindsight, I can see how it was a massive influence in those days because I think that as a woman and, you know, a cute girl, um, male press, and there were more male press at the time than female press, mm. they could write about you if you're like, if they thought you were hot. I remember one journalist saying that that's how he judged female music. Mm. And then suddenly I'm in this position and I, I, we signed a record deal when I was 26 years old. So I'd had a whole life, you know, I'd trained, mm. I'd gone to university, I'd left that job. You know, I was very happy and very, by 26 and by that signing of that record deal, you know, I was a grown ass woman. I was a grown up, you know, um, and I was very secure in my identity. I was very secure with my sexuality and my looks. And, you know, I was very comfortable. And 
I think that, that, that the male press found that difficult in two ways. One, I wasn't flirting with them at all. I wasn't giving them kind of a sexy vibes. I was talking about music and lyrics and songs in the same way that if they were interviewing a guy, that's how a guy would talk to them. Um, and two, then that made them feel uncomfortable because all of their usual things, they have a lot of power as well because they, you want them to write about you. So um, so that, that threw that other thing. And then, you know, I'm also black and then I'm also odd because I'm a black girl singing rock music. And, and I think that a lot of the male press at the time did, just didn't know what to do with me. Do you know, Shivani, I I remember listening to Virgin Radio Pride and I was listening to Skin. It was one of the first things that actually came out on the station. And I remember listening to this live and I thought, oh, this is this is incredible. Like, it was one of the highlight and standout bits of content for me for Virgin Radio Pride. So it's really nice seeing it kind of go full circle to us talking about it here on the podcast. What do you think? I absolutely love the fact that she's just like, as a cute girl, this is my reality. And that she's just owning that. She's like, yeah, I know. Everyone <laughs> looks at me and they think I'm cute. But also she's touching on such an important point there. Like there's obviously so much more to her. Her music is absolutely incredible and is it's one of those things where you want you want so desperately for like journalists and for the music industry and PR machines and all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes to get a song out to see her as more than just like this pretty aesthetic in front of a microphone who can sing really well you want to see all those different elements to her because that really comes out in the music i know of course and hearing about that journalist uh, the male journalist that she didn't name uh, but saying that the prettiness or the attractiveness of the you know musician was actually how he judged the music it wasn't the talent uh, it wasn't the skill it wasn't the anything behind it it was just whether the journalist found them attractive. I think that's such a shocking indictment of how the music industry used to be back then. Well, I don't know if it was such a back then type thing because mm. I don't, you know, I'm I'm constantly trying to release my new music, Alex, but nobody is picking it up. And I think that, you know, that there might still be a bit of a scene like that today. Um, it's just one of those things that we don't know about it because it's so swept under the carpet until somebody speaks out. And I I wouldn't be so bold as to say that it's not happening anymore, but mm. hopefully it's happening less than it did in the past because it th- that, just, that clip from Skin does just show that this is another situation in which men have power over these women who are somewhat maybe uh, vulnerable in trying to start their career and trying to launch launch who they are as an artist. And some guy trying to almost abuse that power by saying, hey, if you're hot, I'll get you on my magazine or whatever. I don't know if he was a journalist or a magazine or a radio show or a TV program or whatever, but it's just completely inappropriate. And what, as much as that clip angers me not the clip itself but you know what the situation that skin's describing as much as that angers me i'm so much more impressed by skin that she was able to have such an amazing career despite the setbacks which she's just been talking about and another person who has achieved incredible things in the world of music is youtuber choreographer and of course singer songwriter todrick hall 
Have a listen to what he has to say to Virgin Radio Steve Denyer about starting out in his music career. I think that being on American Idol and then starting my YouTube career were the first times that I realized that being black and being gay in America were going to come with huge disadvantages, especially at that time, because I could not, for the life of me, I could figure out how to make things go viral or whatever. I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out how all of these white artists were also were doing way less were less talented, couldn't sing, couldn't dance, couldn't act, didn't have a crazy personality, weren't that smart, weren't that witty, but they were able to get millions and millions and millions of views by doing the bare minimum. Um, and I don't think that they would even understand it. They're like, wow, this is just happening to me. And that was my first before I knew that there were like privileges and advantages associated with skin color and sexual orientation. I was trying to figure it out and I didn't have the verbiage or anything to figure it out. I just knew that I was looking at numbers that didn't make sense. And I didn't see anybody else that looked like me getting those type of numbers. I only saw white people getting those type of numbers. And um, that was very, it felt very confusing because it was something I didn't feel comfortable talking about because I didn't want anyone to feel attacked by me saying those things. But at the same time, I started to notice that it was like a trend and that um, and, and that it, and, and it was like either the, you're living in some type of black mirror episode or these things that you're thinking are actually true. And there's statistics to back it up. You just don't have those statistics and people aren't talking about it. I am absolutely gutted that Todrick has not yet asked me to cameo feature or remix nails, hair, hips, heels, because now that I've had my nails done, I'm basically the perfect person to feature on that track. Well, no, you've got 25% of the way there. That's, I, I mean, I could pretty much, I just had a haircut this morning. So like... My hair is always on point, Alex. My hips know how to move and the heels, I, I moisturize my feet every day. So... I'll adopt the I'm mantra really of Shakira work. and say that my hips don't lie, which kind of makes it a, <laughs> a really, really good quality if Todrick's lo- listening. You know what? That is one for me to remix tonight. But I, what what he's talking about is actually quite serious. I still see this happening in the music industry, um, in in plenty of industries actually. I'm not going to name names because I will lose friends. But there are some situations where I get so mad that there are still people who are fine doing something that somebody who is exceptional is not doing, and. In my head, for a really long time, it's been quite difficult to sort of make it make sense. Where you see somebody who is a phenomenal artist, let's say, and their voice sounds like angels and their lyrics are witty and clever and deep and they don't have the same kind of recognition as somebody else who is fine and they can sing and maybe they can shake their hips a little bit. But I, for a really long time, a little bit like Todrick, couldn't understand how that had happened. And then, you know, you start learning about privilege, you start learning about the way that these institutions are set up and it all starts to make a little bit more sense as to how things have gone the way they've gone. It's disappointing to also have to reach that conclusion by yourself. You know, have to, to reach the conclusion based off of, what sounded from what Todrick was saying, years of of absolutely, you know, putting every single bit of, of work that he could into his work. And then having to kind of just come to the conclusion that actually there are some people that because of the racism and homophobia that exists in the world, 
there are some people who are breezing, doing a lot less, and you know he's had to reach that conclusion that oh that's why it's it's those things that mean I'm not succeeding, not because I'm not talented, but actually it's because of those things. Yeah, and I think like you know, being South Asian, being queer, um, all of all of the things that make me who I am. Like you never want to assume something. So when you've been in a situation where maybe there has been some underlying homophobia, maybe there has been some underlying racism or whatever, you never want to think, oh, that's because the person is racist. The person who didn't give me the job is racist. You, that's never your first thought. And it's always something that happens after a series of, of experiences and you kind of learn that this is how the world is. And there's something that my parents used to say to me that as as a brown person... I would have to work twice as hard as anybody else who was white to get to the same place. And, you know, speaking to my other friends of, of different ethnic minorities, that is something that a lot of um, BAME people have had their parents say to them. And at the time, I was kind of like, what a ridiculous thing to say. The world is built on merit. And if I'm good enough, I'm good enough. But it's, it's sadly not that simple. Can I just go back a second? So you, you're telling me that there's a conversation that your parents have, which basically is like breaking down the world. And Do you mind me asking what age you were when you had that chat? Like probably quite young. I was in primary school, so um, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was, I was super young. And it was just like a, I guess like my parents' way of trying to explain to me that sometimes the world isn't fair and sometimes it's less fair to certain people and I might be one of those people that it's going to be not as fair to. Um, and then obviously, you know, there are, there are more and more elements that can make that harder for a certain individual, like the colour of their skin and then um, their socioeconomic background, their sexuality, their gender identity, the sex they were assigned at birth, all of these things can then have compounding factors on on how fair the world is to you. That is shocking. So max age that you would have been if you were in primary school is 11 and you had to have that chat from your parents. I, I'm, yeah. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And it's what I think it's one of those things that like, I think it's so clear, like, that you seem shocked. Yeah, I, 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 visibly, as you'd probably be able to tell, but also <laughs> I, I, the, the cogs are worrying that you, you had to have that conversation, max age 11, which basically told you this is the way the world's going to work and it's not nice. Yeah, and I think, like, there's... Not to, like, make you feel bad or anything, but there's a certain level of privilege no, that of some people have that other people don't, where you know my parents felt the need to have that conversation with me lots of my friends from ethnic minority backgrounds have had that conversation with their parents as well but if you are white maybe you haven't had to think like that throughout your life and maybe you know BLM is the first time that you've you've really had to engage with privilege and and like things like that um because if it's not affecting you it's so easy to see that it's not happening yeah, because I, I I wasn't in your in 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 your living room to or wherever it may have been the bedroom to hear that conversation, and so I actually I actually remember it really well now that we started sort of poking that bear. I was um, in bed and um, 
I was like sort of getting tucked into bed and I think my dad had just read me a bedtime story and I was really upset about something. I can't remember what it was, but then he sort of just said this to me and I was like, that's gotta be ridiculous. And then it it, it hasn't been. <laughs> it's life. Yeah. And it's hard. And, and what I found so shocking, bringing it back to Todrick, is Todrick says that he didn't want to offend there. He didn't want to offend people. He was putting them first and their feelings first. And, you know, he, he mentions the stats that, that we, we're now talking about within society with BLM and, and more and more awareness about diversity and inclusion issues, that that's a good thing. But I also don't think that it's necessarily changed things to know those statistics that he mentioned. Mm. You know, it, statistics are great in that way that they can validate your experience. And, you know, if my dad had been able to pull out some statistics when I was maybe 10 saying to him that's ridiculous surely everyone's on an equal playing field um then it might have been able to to help educate me and and understand the way in which the world has been working but just knowing the statistics doesn't change things there, there's there's more of a discussion but it needs to turn into action equally someone could just maliciously use those statistics and, and diminish your experience but i uh, it isn't something I've encountered before. So just listening to you as as a friend and you know colleague uh, explain that experience personally has really hit home what what Todrick must have been experiencing. Yeah. So Todrick and Skin are just two examples of incredible LGBTQ plus musical artists. But why are so many of the musicians that we enjoy from the LGBTQ plus community? Have a listen to what singer and songwriting legend Justin Vivian Bond had to say about the innate drive to succeed that is common to many LGBTQ plus people. And just a heads up before we play this clip, it does contain description of child sexual abuse and death. If you want to fast forward, skip about 2 minutes 20 seconds and you'll be back with us. What is the toughest song that you have ever written? Uh, I wrote this song called Stars. Um, that's on my second solo album, Silver Well. So I wrote it about my friend Fenton. Um, when I met him, his name was Sean. And uh, when he died, his name was Layden. And that was just um, last month. And I wrote the song because, um, well, he disappeared from my life because uh, he had serious uh, mental issues, based on childhood traumas, being molested by his father, all of these like serious, horrible things that happened to him. And he kind of had a, well, he just, he did what a lot of people do, I think, which is if you feel um, marginalized or if, you, if you're abused or whatever, and you tell yourself, I'm gonna get out of here someday and I'm gonna prove to everybody that I'm I have value and that I that that you somehow tell yourself that you're special, um, which a lot of us do, you know, like someday mm -hmm. they're going to see I'm going to be a huge star or I'm going to do this. And we and we spend our lives putting so much pressure on ourselves to prove to these horrible people that we have have value. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's what the song was about, you know, just mm. loving yourself as you are. Um, yeah. and uh, died last month um, homeless in the desert of uh, 
hyperthermia. He was exposed to the elements and died of, I imagine, dehydration. Anyway, it was a tragic story, but it was also somebody who I probably loved more than um, uh, most people. That song was hard to write and it's hard to sing, but it's also so deeply connected to my heart that um, that is, it's also a very, very special song. And that relationship was one of the most special. And it's not over because I'm still alive and I can still feel him, but it was intense. It is really hard when you hear stories like that to know what to say. Um, but at the same time, there's so much to say. There's so much to dissect there about what was going on in the world that that meant that somebody wasn't supported to the degree that, that this happened. And sadly, I think that there are so many people who will feel like this, like feel this mm. pressure to succeed and this pressure to prove people wrong and have this drive. And no, it doesn't matter what industry they're, they're in. It could be, you know, music. It could be wanting to make movies. It could be wanting to be a brain surgeon. It doesn't matter what the industry is. I don't think it's, there is a certain level of, wanting to to prove something not just to yourself but to all of those people who said you couldn't do it and sometimes it it can be devastating it's yeah a really raw raw kind of experience that we've that we've seen but you know all of that like uh in, in our community in the culture that culture of loving yourself and all of that it's really hard sometimes and then it sounds really bleak, but this is this is a, a a really bleak clip. It's sometimes really hard to love yourself, and you know, in I I think particularly for trans people I know, and you know, the culture of ah oh, love yourself, but you've got a culture outside where every single kind of outlet in the media sort of feels like they're attacking you, and so oh, but you've yeah. got to love yourself. But the minor, the vocal minority that we spoke about last week is worth noting that like the, the vast majority of, of of people in the world, we, we there, there's even data to back that up. The vast majority of people in the UK support trans people, but the vocal minority don't. And it just so happens to be that sometimes the vocal minority are the loudest. So it's that culture of loving yourself and trying to love yourself in a world that might feel like Feels it doesn't, like it love, doesn't you. love you but it does yeah. it's just the vocal minority happen to be able yeah. to make it seem that way yeah it feels like you're not loved in the, in this world but but obviously you are by so yes, many so it kind of makes me think like you know i've <laughs> the, the classic rupaul phrase of if you can't love yourself how in the hell can you love somebody else it's that that phrase is it's it's been turned into a catchphrase it's been turned into a cliche it's fine but then you know thinking about it now it's also quite important you know to to feel like loving yourself is enough and you don't need to seek the the approval or the validation or whatever it is you might be seeking from somebody else um because it can just run you so far down literally into the ground it can be painful for you and and everybody else around you who can see you burning yourself out to try and prove something to someone who quite frankly probably doesn't even deserve you know your attention all the time and when I say someone it's like 
not an individual person maybe it could be people just trying to prove yourself to yeah to to a society that feels like it's rejecting you it's so devastating to hear the story of Justin's friend and it, it goes to show the extent of the pressure that some lgbtq plus people put on themselves in order to succeed in a minute we're going to be hearing from the iconic Bimini Bomboulash about one of their musical icons, the legendary Pete Burns. That's on the way right after your Virgin Radio Pride weekly update with Daryl. Thank you. Hello. First this week. A leading human rights group in the UK has said plans to change the law on gender recognition in Scotland require further consideration. Scottish Government ministers have voiced proposals to reform the Gender Recognition Act to make it easier for people to change their legally recognised gender. But the Equality and Human Rights Commission says everyone's concerns should be discussed and addressed carefully, openly and with respect to avoid further damage and division. Now, years and years, singer Ollie Alexander has admitted that he's received pushback in the past for being too flamboyant on stage. He's been speaking to us about his performance on the BBC on New Year's Eve, in which the corporation received more than 170 complaints because of what he was wearing. I've had this in the past where, um, you know, I'm not doing anything remotely sexual on stage, but because of something I'm wearing, people complain that it's not family friendly. I can only assume this is because I'm gay, you know, I'm openly gay, that people, like, do you know what I mean? It's just, and people, I don't know, certain people might be a bit uncomfortable with just a gay man being himself on a stage, who knows? Sir Elton John has apologised to fans for postponing some US concerts in Texas after testing positive for COVID-19. The star who's been vaccinated says his symptoms are mild. And the UK's first national LGBT museum will open in London in the spring. It's being created by the charity Queer Britain and will be in King's Cross in part of a building owned by another charity, Art Fund. There'll be four galleries where people will be able to learn about past, present and future stories of the LGBT community. That's all from me this week. I'm back next week. Thanks, Daryl. Now, as we've been exploring, so many of the musical heroes that we enjoy belong to the LGBTQ plus community. Let's hear now from drag race royalty Bimini Bomboulash, a singing icon themselves, about one of their LGBTQ plus musical heroes, Pete Burns. Do you remember the very first person that inspired you that you looked at and thought, you know, I want to be like them. I want to sort of follow in their footsteps, whether that be how they dress, uh, the kind of music they make. Well, who was the first person you really looked up to? I think it was Pete Burns. I do. I think I remember growing up and being kind of like confused. I was very confused by Pete because I was like, do I want to be Pete Burns or do I fancy Pete Burns? Like, What was going on here? But as you get older and you start kind of learning more about Pete, he was such an icon. And I think they, they were the, the first person that I really remember standing out in kind of going against gender because I didn't understand whether they were male or female, but actually it didn't matter. Like, that's what Pete was all about. Like, they would wear a dress and it would be great. And I think my dad always used to play me Bowie as well. And I didn't really appreciate Bowie again until I got a bit older. Because it's also that thing of, like, when your dad's playing your music, you're like, oh, this is rubbish. But actually, Bowie's one of the greatest musicians of all time. Yeah, and we will get on to David Bowie in a moment. But uh, let's stick with Pete Burns for the moment, because the next track on your list 
uh, is of course Dead or Alive, You Spin Me Right Round. Why was it you wanted this track in particular? I performed this song um, for Pride, actually, in 2019. And I did a reveal. I did, like, 80s Pete Burns, Dead or Alive Pete Burns into the noughties Pete Burns that we all love, like the blonde hair and the big coat. And I did that on stage for Sync the Pink. So I just won Miss Sync the Pink in... 2019 and my first big solo performance after that was dead or alive you spin me right around and it's just such an iconic track it like just doesn't get old it's one of those ones that you can listen to over and over and it just gets everyone going in the club whenever i play it when i've been djing people lose it so it's just such a great track Oh my God, I love how Bimney sort of just like stops in that sentence there for half a second and is kind of like, breaking news, David Barry is like one of the best artists of all time, as though that that's like new news to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, b- breaking news, icon is icon. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's that classic confusion of, I think for a lot of queer people, do I do I really like them as as a person? Do I want to be them or do I fancy them? And I've like had that for so many people when I was younger and I didn't really understand what sexuality was. And my favourite takeaway from that clip was Bimini's assassination of gender. You know, when everyone's talking about is Pete Burns male or female? And Bimini just goes, didn't matter. (laughs) I love that. But like if Bimini was a journalist... 20 years ago imagine the hot takes everyone else writing about is this a man or is this a woman and Bimini's just like legend what is gender <laughs> <laughs> I do not understand the assignment it's brilliant isn't it it's absolutely brilliant um do you know I have a lot of love for 80s music and I think there's a special like place that's why you're on Virgin Radio Groove well, well of course but there's also all of the music I love all of the music and it's great because you can listen to that on Virgin Radio Groove. But back on track, <laughs> pull your corporate messaging away, you shill. Um, what I really love is the kind of role that 80s music has played in queer culture. You know, because 80s was a sort of big blooming moment for queer identities and sort of seeing it carry along. I absolutely love You Spin Me Right Round. Um, but I also love... You spin me right No, round. no, we said we weren't Not... going to do the singing along. <laughs> There's also um, Don't You Want Me Baby by The Human League. Well, it's not Don't You Want Me Baby. Don't you want me baby. Brilliant. Uh, I, I, I didn't actually bring a whole list of songs, but I will do that for next week's episode part two Thank of you. music, which will be coming out the Friday afterwards. Um, but there are loads of iconic 80s tracks which just have that really special place in our community and... It makes me very happy knowing that Bimini is fully able to recognise them as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think the the 80s was this this seemingly magical time of gender fluidity and artistry and presentation and all of these different things. And these icons managed to sort of seemingly come through this straight cis media and were hailed like all of these people freddie mercury prince david bowie like pete burns they've all been celebrated so much by everyone because the music is so good and yeah you know what i'm gonna say they wanted to enjoy our music that you know queer icons were producing but yeah they still introduced section 28 to basically 
stop kids from ever talking about sexuality in schools. They still illegalize homosexuality. They still continued to absolutely decimate our communities, queer spaces. They still allowed the pro- like proliferation of AIDS in the community because they didn't consider it a big enough priority. But they loved our music. They loved our music, didn't they? They did love our music. And I was trying to have a happy moment there, but you're right. You're so right, Alex. Like, it's been such a weird juxtaposition of two things. Like, you have these people who are treated like like superstars, have, like, almost this godlike tier where they're celebrated, but everybody else, all of the normal people in the queer community, were sort of outcast. Mm-hmm. And what was important, I think, was that there was, despite all of the, you know, anti-LGBTQ plus laws that were enforced, like Section 28, despite, you know, the fact that the government completely disregarded the need for finding treatment and healthcare, appropriate healthcare for um, victims of HIV and AIDS, these people still managed to break through. They still managed to be there. I guess just just be present for people like us, people like Bimini, to relate to, to to see them in the media, to realise that maybe there is space in society for queer people. And even though we're talking about you know the eighties and and that sort of culture, it appears to be something that continues with us today. Uh, have a listen to this clip from country singer Brooke Eden who was told she had to hide her sexuality if she ever wanted to make it in the music industry. What's your favorite song you've written about me? Ooh, gosh, there's so, uh, every song that I write. Yeah, there's a lot. Is about Hillary. Um, I would probably have to say it's Got No Choice. Got No Choice is my current single that's out. And I wrote it when I was going through a really hard time. I had been told that if I wanted to keep my career, Hillary and I, either needed to break up or keep ourselves completely quiet, which we're not good at. <laughs> and I just woke up one morning and had this melody and this idea in my head called Got No Choice. I have no choice but to love her. And um, it marinated, we wrote the song that day that I had the idea. And it marinated in my song box for like four years and we just recorded it and put it out. So that song really means a lot to me and it helped me through a really hard time in my life. You know, I have listened to quite a lot of country Taylor Swift music, right? I'm a massive fan of country Taylor Swift love songs. So Alex, you're a gay man. We know this. Continue. <laughs> put the claws away, Shivani. Um, Meow. But... I I can basically say with certainty, if any country music playing person rocking guitar wants to kind of come along and serenade me, I would be much appreciative. Anyway, aside from that, other thoughts. I think it's really tough that effectively to be told to progress in your career, you had to deny yourself and had to deny who you love. I just think that's... We've covered it throughout this podcast, but... It just, it it doesn't make it easier hearing that. Honestly, I think like we have seen through the superstardom of Little Nas X that country music and queer stuff really work together, right? Like it's, it's country is so queer. It's so queer. It's so gay. And it's so short-sighted of whoever that person was to say, let's not release that song because like, 
people like us, we're going to lap that up. And yes. <laughs> everybody knows that, that queer people are the tastemakers for culture within society. Yes. We had Prince. We had Freddie Mercury. You know, we had all these great people. Boy George, like Elton John. We had all the... We are the people who make the stuff that other people want to listen to. And so short-sighted telling her not to release that song. No, I know. Um, because it's a great song as well. It's very brave of Brooke to just kind of go, ah, screw it, going to do it anyway. I just think that's incredible. I think so. And there's, there, the thing is, is, there's this attitude so much. Like, there's a stat that I'm kind of going to make up off the top of my head, but it is kind of based in reality, where a significantly high proportion of people, I think it's something like two-thirds of people, go back into the closet when they start a new job or when they graduate from university and they start a new job. It's it's something around the, the two-thirds mark. Yeah. No, this and is true. That's because it's this thing of feeling ashamed or or being told that like our sexuality is not going to be um welcomed by all and the only way we can really change that is by like like being who we are without without fear without shame which is obviously really easy to say and very difficult to do but to have somebody who is supposed to be helping you excel in your career telling you to closet yourself is not going to help you excel in your career because you're hiding a part of who you are. And like the reason we love artists so much is because they open up who they are to us. It's really interesting because one of the places that I used to work gave this sort of training and they said, what you should try and do is introduce yourself without using any names, places or pronouns. You know, say what you got up to the weekend because they always gave away something, you know, oh, I went to Grand Canaria. Yeah, you're probably of the queer variety. Oh, went to Soho. A friend of Dorothy, we'll use that term. Oh, you went to Soho. Yeah, okay, great. Congratulations. You're part of the Alphabet Mafia. Um, And then sort of like, oh, I spent the weekend with him. And, you know, if you are someone who uses he, him pronouns and you're saying that you spent a whole weekend with him, you kind of could potentially be seen to give away things. And so you can't really be your true self and you can't really achieve your full creative potential if you're constantly having to correct yourself and hide something, you know, change the pronouns of uh, of the people who you're going with. That happens in sports. It happens in the arts. It happens at places that I've worked. People I know who can't achieve their full creative potential because they are having to shield part of themselves from their colleagues, you know, that stat is pretty much the same stat as also the number of people who don't tell their managers that they are queer. So for Brooke to talk about the experience of not just hiding your sexuality from the world, as suggested by your manager, but also, you know, not being your true self to the world and having to create a new persona, a new identity, just so you could be more commercially marketable is kind of bleak. But surely it's not all that bad and we need to discuss that but that is all we've got time for on the virgin radio podcast this week and i reckon that's probably a good thing considering that shivani is probably going to try and sing any minute now and luckily there'll be plenty more chances for that next week when we continue our musical adventure oh no looking at some of the ways in which music unites the lgbtq plus community meanwhile in this podcast it is completely separating us shivani what was that until then you can get in touch with us if there's anything you'd like to say or sing 
about anything we've discussed this week, you can email us using pridecast at virginradio.co.uk. That was me. You can also find us on Twitter at Virgin Radio UK, remembering to use the hashtag Virgin Radio Pridecast. Until then, see you next week. <laughs>